Hello and welcome to Clout, a podcast profiling Australia's future leaders in Asia. I'm Brody Burns-Williamson. And I'm Lucy Du. Thanks for joining us. So each week, we talk to Aussies making an impact in their community to learn about the dash of language, the pinch of culture, and the blind luck that led them to where they are today. We ask our guests to take us on their journey to Asia capability by sharing with us their choice of food, song, show, and person to help us understand what being an Aussie with clout is all about. G'day, Brody here, and welcome to Clout. We're picking up some good momentum going into 2023, and With the holiday season upon us, we thought we might go back to where it all began. Today's episode is an early cut of a conversation between my mother, Jane Burns, and the one and only Lucy Do, diving into a few of the themes that we thought might help showcase the journey of Asia-capable Australians. I hope you enjoy, and we look forward to bringing you new chats in the new year, 2023. My guest today is the exact definition of what people call the 1.5 generation. Lucy Du was born in China and immigrated to Australia when she was five years old. She grew up memorising Chinese poetry and grinding ink to write calligraphy, while at the same time demanding ham and cheese sandwiches for lunch and dreaming of being one of the Spice Girls. Although having never received any education in China, Lucy can read and write Chinese and is often mistaken for someone who has grown up in China. But the truth really comes out when the only songs she can sing in karaoke are Jackie Chung classics from the 1990s. Along with Brodie Burns-Williamson, Lucy is the other co-founder of Clout, the podcast where our guests take us on their journey to Asia capability by nominating a food, a musician, a TV show, and a person that helps them understand them, us, helps them, us, understand what being Aussie with clout is all about. Lucy, you have nominated Roger Moore as your choice of food. Can you tell me what it is and what inspired your choice? (laughs) It's a hard one to pronounce. Um, So I was born in Guangzhou, but my Laojiang, which is hometown, is in Shanxi, the north of China. That's the province where the terracotta warriors are. For many of you who may know that massive landmark. And in China, hometown is actually not where you were born, nor where you may identify with, but rather where your father's family is from. So my father's family is from Shanxi in a very small town called Niju. So M-I-Z-H-I. I first learned about Zhou Jiamo as a child, but was really exposed to it when I was an expat in Shanghai. And Zhou Jiamo is perhaps better known as a Chinese hamburger. So this beautifully seasoned pork that's been slow cooked for hours, placed inside, which is mo, a Chinese bun. So the characters Zhou Jiamo literally translates into meat sandwiched in bread. I chose it because it's a dish that every culture seems to have a variation of. It's like the universal language of food. Sandwich, 
taco, arupas, bami, burger. People get it when you explain what a real jam war is. And this has kind of become a recurring theme using food to connect. Yeah, absolutely. I think food is very simple to understand. It's very relatable. We all need it. We all love it. And for me, having grown up across both cultures, I often felt I was acting as this cliche bridge. So I really became good at finding these commonalities between Australian and Chinese cultures to find these analogies in either cultures to act as the bridge that connected the two. And so that's why I really love Ro Jamos because people get it. And really when you think about people as well, you need to find that Zhou Jamo link to connect both sides that both you know cultures and people can relate to, to identify with for that connection to be made. So where do I find a Zhou Jamo? Lots of places. <laughs> Often actually hidden in the snack section of menus at a Shanxi or Northern Chinese restaurant. So look for names in the restaurant titles like Biang Biang or Noodles, Dumpling. I actually last Friday went to four different Rojamo places around Melbourne CVD and tried six different Rojamos. <laughs> and <laughs> I do actually also have a food account on Instagram. This is not <laughs> a self-spooking, but I am spooking this right now, called Rojamo Baby, which is dedicated 100% to reviewing the best moors in town. <laughs> We will put it in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. Now, your nomination for music might be something that you could be listening to as you're eating your Jojo Moore. Let's have a listen. Lucy, um, tell us why you chose Jay Chow. Um, <laughs> good question. <laughs> I knew nothing about Chinese pop songs growing up. My only exposure to Chinese music is a cassette that my parents had when we moved to Australia, which I played on loop, and it was a compilation of Hong Kong and Taiwanese pop singers from the early 90s, including Jackie Chung, which is probably why that's the only song I can sing. And when I was studying as an exchange student at Tsinghua University, I took a class which was Chinese ancient poetry. And that was when my teacher introduced me to Jay Chow. So at the end of each class, she would finish with a Chinese pop song. So I listened to not only Jay Chow, but Wang Li Hong, S.H.E. And this particular song, which I'm not even sure what it translates into in English, but in Chinese it's called Dong Feng Po. It really resonated with me because it was the first time that I actually heard a song that managed to really seamlessly bridge the 
smoothness, if that's a, a way to describe, you know, R&B sounds to this really traditional Chinese music and elements through in the song, you'll be able to hear, you know, the Chinese lute um, pipa. And I thought that was really new to me and something that growing up listening to the likes of Ashanti and Asha, I had never heard a Chinese song that was able to incorporate those two elements together. So it sounds like you bridged the sounds of Chinese instruments with Western musical influences like R&B. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, you know, I think through that was really, for me at least, able to introduce elements of history, of culture, of prose to the Chinese 1.5 gen diaspora like myself, who often I think struggle to find these links and the threads that are able to link the two cultures together. So when we talk about Australia, Asia clout on this show, I think it's not just simply about mastering the language or the time spent in country, but also understanding and exploring the pathways that give these people clout, which in turn is making an impact. So let's take it to television. You nominated CCTV New Year's Gala as your television show. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes, I did. And it's probably a very random one. So let me explain. It's kind of like... The Carol by Candlelight of China. So every year on Chinese New Year's Eve, which varies depending on the lunar calendar, probably every Chinese family in China, at least before the other channels started to compete with the program, would watch whilst having their family dinners. And for me growing up, this was the one connection that I had to what was happening in China. So I learnt about the most recent high-profile Chinese government policies, the country's strategic visions, what they were celebrating, who they were celebrating, astronauts going into space, gold medal Olympian winners, doctors saving, curing millions of people. I learnt about the biggest pop names in music and movies. And so as a Chinese Australian, it doesn't matter how much you identify as being Australian. I often find both my Chinese friends and colleagues and also my Australian friends as well and colleagues kind of expect you to understand a little bit more about your culture than perhaps you do. And so for me despite this show being, you know, quite heavily curated and a product of, you know, CCTV, which is the Chinese um, media, national media, it really gave me some really great insights into what was happening in China yearly and, again, you know, helped me bridge, you know, that link between China and Australia. And so how does the show help you navigate your Chinese heritage, you think? It's a good question. Question. I think, you know, being an Australian with Chinese heritage, you know, again, both people in China and Australians with 
perhaps a non-Chinese background, you know, really expect you to have a bit more authority and knowledge about China or Chinese language, Chinese culture. I often, you know, have friends who I joke all the time and say, you know, you don't have to send me, you know, screenshots of Chinese texts or Chinese menu items and expect me to translate it. Like, how do you know <laughs> that, you know, I know every single cuisine in China or every Chinese character word or what every phrase means? But I think they see me, at least my friends in Australia, as being you know, kind of a little bit more of an expert just given my my cultural background. And so the show in many ways did give me a little bit of extra clout in, you know, holding my own and understanding what was going on in China and staying a little bit more kind of connected. At the same time, I think we have to be kind of aware that China has, you know, varying, you know, provinces and states with, you know, I don't even know how many dialects, um, you know, is spoken in China, but, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it was hundreds. And so I think just for myself as well, asking anyone kind of in China to give a response that's representative of, you know, kind of a culture of 1.3 billion people is probably quite unrealistic but you know again it just gives you a bit of a snapshot into you know kind of that the the other world (laughs) so let's play the closing theme of the gala Lucy, who have you nominated someone as having great clout? person I've nominated is Australian chef and restaurateur Kylie Kwong. I started today's episode on food, so I think it's quite fitting to <laughs> continue with the food theme and end on food because I do think that food plays a really incredible role in connecting and in creating clout. So Kylie Kwong is third-generation Chinese-Australian. Growing up, I very rarely saw Asian representation on TV, let alone Asian females. So seeing her on TV and in bookstores, I really liked how even though she was third-generation Australian, really still kept a lot of her cultural heritage and roots, especially in cooking. And I distinctly remember this one early episode she had filmed where she had travelled to China and Kylie Kwan, you know, being, I guess, third generation and growing up, you know, kind of speaking English, she, as far as I'm aware, doesn't speak any Chinese or Mandarin and was still, I was just so impressed and inspired that she pushed through and was still very curious about Chinese culture and, you know, despite all the Chinese locals refusing to believe that she couldn't speak any Mandarin, just kept going and, and kept, you know, kind of doing what she was out there doing. So that was... So really she impressive. still had clout then? She still yeah. did. She did, still did. It, it just goes to show it's not, you know, to say if you can speak the language, you have more clout or less clout um, or if language was necessarily, you know, something that clout is based on. I think she's definitely an example of someone who I think the language capabilities wasn't what defined her clout. 
I think, you know, someone who has clout, you know, in her instance, is being able to bridge the gap between Australian and Chinese cooking and tastes and clout in empowering other 1.5 or second gen Australian born Chinese in you know, learning a little bit more about their cultural heritage and helping excite Australians about the multifacets of Chinese cuisine and food. So now on this show, we'd like to end by giving our guests the final word on clout. Any words of wisdom? <laughs> well, I'd like to say to have clout in the Australian Asian space you know, going back to what we talked about with Kylie and others, it's not just about perfecting the language or having the mastery of language or necessarily ethnicity or whether you're a heritage or non-heritage speaker. I think as an Asian Australian myself, it's really about knowing and understanding your own individual identity and being able to navigate that between, you know, through growing up, working, living across two cultures and successfully being able to bridge through leadership, guidance, support, the multicultural community that forms the foundation of Australia. And I'm really excited to be able to explore all those different stories and journeys of our future guests, these extraordinary talents Australians on our program to learn how they created their pathways towards building clout. Thanks, Lucy. 